1: Another mass shooting, how do we respond as Christians? And later, it was World Refugee Day, dealing with difficult people, and later, how we transform pain into spaces of healing. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Tuesday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and I am joined by a special guest co-host, that is my friend, neighbor, author, speaker, Catherine McNeil. Hi, Catherine. Hey, Aubrey. Hey, Radio World. It's great to be with Thank, you today. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, Catherine is here today because my regular co-host, Brian, is on vacation. He sent me a picture of himself poolside yesterday, and oh. I was like, please don't send me these pictures anymore. I would I would rather not see this. But he is apparently enjoying his life in, I think he's in South Carolina, North Carolina, one of those places. And so because of that, I get to bring my friends in the house today. And so, Catherine, it is so fun to have you here. And I'm sorry to bring you on. I'm bringing you on, and we're going heavy really quick, but it just feels like you can't go on the radio anymore without covering another horrific story of another horrific mass shooting. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a shooting. Three people were killed at an Mm -hmm. Episcopal church in Alabama, and... Unfortunately, this one seems, you know, there, it was, um, I don't know that they would say a member of the church, but a regular visitor of the church. Hmm. It was at a potluck event and just a pretty, you know, I mean, anytime you hear these stories, it's devastating, whether it's a school, whether it's at another, you know, a hospital at a church, though, especially I think for Christians, we kind of go, Whoa, Whoa, is there no place sacred anymore? And um, I actually want to play some of the audio hearing from the captain of the police in the city in Alabama, but also some of the churchgoers to hear their response as well. So let's take a listen to that.
0: America's latest jarring example of gun violence. They were having dinner
2: and they were having fun. And then the next minute they
0: weren't happened at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in a picturesque suburb of Birmingham. Authorities releasing a mugshot of the alleged gunman, 70-year-old Robert Finlay Smith, an occasional church attendee who opened fire at a potluck dinner. At some point, he produced a handgun and began shooting, striking three victims. All three were killed. Ranging in age from 75 to 84 years old. I think you described a situation in which a fellow parishioner subdued the shooter. How critical was that in saving lives? Uh, it was extremely critical in saving lives. Uh, the person that subdued the suspect, in my opinion, is a hero. Police did not reveal a motive. And the county sheriff's office says the shooter has no booking history there. Hundreds came out for a church service this morning, sad and shaken.
3: Especially with a church environment, I think... A place you consider to be really safe and a place of refuge is now kind of violated in a way.
0: A minister here now has direct ties to two church shootings. He tells me he went to Seminole School with two people murdered at the horrific church massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, which happened exactly seven years ago today, Make a country it. in crisis.
3: I was just really sad. I think it's sad to see like something like that happen where you live.
0: Confounded again by gun violence and split about what to do about it.
1: So Catherine, he, you know, hearing that, hearing their devastation, hearing the, um, I mean, there have been more mass shootings in America this year than there have been days in the year. So it is, uh,
3: hmm.
1: becoming an increasing, increasingly devastating issue. I know this is actually something you wrote about in your most recent book, fearing bravely. So I'm going to put you on the spot no. here, <laughs> but you know, how should Christians respond to this kind of thing?
3: Well, I think, you know, I think that's the question. You know, we hear about these devastating uh, situations and we we have a human response of compassion or of fear or of anger and of hate. And all of these are the the correct human responses to have. But then those of us who want to follow Christ also have to say, well, what is the Christian response to have? Mm. Um, You know, I don't have an easy answer for that. But I did, it is something that I invited people to wrestle with with me in my book, Fearing Bravely, um, Risking Love for Our Neighbors, Strangers, and Enemies. And in one of the chapters, I described the the shooting that happened a few years ago in a church service. Um, and it, it's in a chapter where we're talking about caring for strangers and welcoming strangers. Mm. And the fact that I think we often say, well, Jesus said to welcome strangers, but that's dangerous, so we, we better not. Right, um, right. But the flip side of that is that fearing or even arming ourselves against strangers may make us feel safer, but it just makes the world a more dangerous place. So here's Mm. what I said. I said, here we are again at the dilemma that haunts us, fear, caring for strangers in need, whether they are for us or against us, won't always be in our best interest. Mm. It certainly wasn't in the best interest of the two clergymen who passed by the dying man but the good Samaritan wasn't safe on that dangerous road before between Jerusalem and Jericho either. Not many years ago, an African-American prayer group welcomed a strange white man to their prayer meeting. After studying the Bible and praying side by side with them for nearly an hour, the stranger opened fire and massacred them. Statements made by the killer and later by the three surviving church members demonstrate that while loving strangers may very well open doors to danger Closing doors in hatred leads to certain violence. Hmm. It was not the love and welcome of the victims that resulted in their murders, but the toxic fear of the murderer.
1: Wow. That's good, Catherine. Interestingly, the shooting is at, in Alabama. Was on the anniversary of the shooting that you wrote about, that uh, Charleston shooting. I believe it's been seven years now, which yes. is hard to believe. It's, it feels is. like that was yesterday. But I, I think that's really interesting, Catherine, because we, I, I do think our tendency is self-preservation. Of course, it is. Mm-hmm. Like that's a human instinct, and so we do kind of go, well, we need to arm ourselves, or arm our churches, or be careful about who we let in. The difficult part of that is that's not the call of Jesus. right? And so for Christians, it's like a totally different, it is a totally different posture that I, we're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to give us because we cannot do that on our own strength or our own like humanness. Um, and then I think the point that you make that's so interesting is, our tendency, I think, in our teaching has been, and the result will be like, lives will change and all shall be hmm. well. And, and and that's not necessarily the call. Like right. The call is to come and die, to be willing to give up your life to your strangers, neighbors, and enemies, yes. as you say so beautifully in your book, Fearing Bravely. And of course, we believe in one day all shall be mm-hmm. well, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're talking Revelation 21, one day. But in the meantime, it is so difficult to, I think, give up your own desire to protect your loved ones and to protect yourself. And it's interesting to me to think that that doesn't serve
3: anybody. Right. And, you know, we say we follow Jesus, but Jesus was killed for living the right. way that he did. Right. And so right. I, it's something we have to think hard about, I Mm-hmm. If we're going to, as individuals or as a family or as a community, choose to follow Jesus, um, but yeah. on the other hand, that also doesn't mean that we just do things that are foolish, um, just right. sort of blindly right. saying, That's good. "I will put myself <laughs> in harm's way for no good whatsoever, simply right. because God <laughs> right. is with right. me." So it is, it is something to wrestle with. Mm. With discernment, Absolutely. with discernment, yeah, with discernment—that's good. With spirit-led
1: discernment. <laughs> um, and one of the things I said before when I introduced you is that you are an author. That's part of how we got to know each other. We're both in the authoring, publishing, arty. Christian world, whatever we sure that are. um, And your latest book is called Fearing Bravely. Can you tell our people a little bit about it and why you decided to write it?
3: I would love to. Well, yes, it's called Fearing Bravely, as you said. The subtitle really says it all. Risking love for our neighbors, strangers, and enemies. And the reason I wanted to write it is I... As a Christian, I study the Gospels, I study the words and the teaching of Jesus, and not only Jesus, you know, the Old Testament, the epistles yeah. as well, yeah. and I'm hearing the same message over and over again. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be someone who is seeking after God, you are going to be pouring yourself out with an mm. active love for your neighbor, but also even for strangers, welcoming strangers, welcoming strangers. And even laying down your life, if necessary, for your enemy. And Mm. I just see how God's love, which has changed our life, uh, we know we're supposed to share God's love with others, but Jesus and the apostles just keep widening the scope (laughs) of what that entails Ah. until there's really... We really do reach the place where we have given our life over to God completely and to God's love and to service of others. So I don't see a lot of talking about what that looks like in Christian spaces today. I hear a lot of the reasons why we should be afraid of our neighbors, afraid of strangers, yeah. afraid of our enemies, how we should yeah. protect ourselves. Um so that's why it's fearing bravely. I don't. I don't think that fear so is going to go away. Yeah. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we can't marinate in that fear like we so often do. We have to choose love instead. And wh- what do you think is at stake,
1: Catherine, if we don't choose love instead? Like if we continue to live in that fear?
3: Well, everything. I think everything is at stake. Jesus. Mm. Jesus seemed to think so, uh, mm. and I believe Jesus was the Son of God. So. Um, Jesus was saying that um, you know we can choose God's kingdom or we can choose the world's kingdoms and empires. Um, the empires and kingdoms of this world are hell bent on destroying um, just about anything in yeah. in in service of of peace or protection, yeah. safety. Yeah. But it's it's a yeah. faux safety. It's a faux mm. peace. It's built on violence. Um, yeah. Jesus was part of the occupied by the Roman empire and they, they continually proclaimed, you know, their marketing was, you know, Rome is great. You know, we are, look at this peace and prosperity that we have brought you, but they brought it through excruciating violence. Mm. Um, so I think we can either be on the side of death or Mm. we can be on the side of love, which is not necessarily a safe or easy path the way it sounds. It's it's not an easy love. It's not a sweet feeling in our hearts. It's I think active. That's a really, it's a really good point, um, I, Catherine. This is. I, I want to talk
1: about World Refugee Day, but I do want to ask you another question because I think sometimes what I hear, kind of in the Twitterverse from a certain population of Christian, especially I would say Christian men, although that might be hmm. stereotyping too much. But is this idea that like their favorite Jesus is violent Jesus, like Ooh. Jesus turning the turning the tables over, that righteous anger? So they're going to be men of righteous anger hmm. and
3: and i 'm wondering if that is opposed to what you 're talking about, well, you know all in all in context, you know yeah. um, when, yeah. when i 'm talking about love uh, i 'm talking i 'm hoping that i 'm talking about the kind of love Jesus is talking about, and Paul is writing mm. about the mm. agape love, which is not uh, you know a soft, sweet feeling. Um, With candles and music, it is an active, it's an active posture of spending our energy and our life to serve others. And according to Jesus, it's not important if that other is a friend or a foe. As followers of Jesus, we're spending what we have to serve and help others. So that's a very active, strong posture. That's not something yeah. you do while you're, you know, in a spa meditating. Right. Um, right, right. But on the other hand, anger can be very violent and hmm. nonproductive. So I think we will... As we are serving, say, refugees, we will become angry at the, at the violence that has displaced them. We will become yeah. angry at our fellow citizens that are yeah. refusing yeah. to offer help. But it has yeah. to be an anchor that it loves even its enemies and mm. is willing to lay down our lives even for our enemies. So yeah. that's... That's going to be a lot more complicated, either than the anger that's turning tables or the love that's listening to, uh, Mm. you know, instrumental music. It's going to be stronger than both of those postures. Wow. So good, Catherine. So good. Well, I'm so
1: glad you brought up the topic of refugees because yesterday was World Refugee Day. There are 79.5 million people around the world who have been forcibly displaced. This is the highest figure ever recorded right now, by the way. Wow. And I think for the, uh, unfortunately for me, and unfortunately not just for me, but um, I hear in a lot, not all areas of Christendom. I actually have a lot of friends that are very like pro let's love and care for the refugee. But then, I think, going back to what you're talking about and fearing bravely, there's also a large population that is very either anti refugee or afraid of refugee or um Maybe very passive mm,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: about the displaced people around the world, but it does feel like scripturally that's not an option for us.
3: Absolutely. And
1: even if we want to, uh, you know, some of the statistics that are being shared right now 50% of the world's refugees are children. So even if you can't wrap your mind around adult refugees, I think many of us can have a heart for kids that have been displaced. And um, so I, this is a large topic to talk about with two <laughs> minutes left, Catherine, but. What ought the Christian response to the refugee crisis in our world be?
3: Well, I think, uh, let me tell a very brief story, piggybacking on your statistic that over 50% of refugees are children. Um, In Fearing Bravely, I talk a lot about what it looks like to welcome strangers. Um, And in Jesus' time, it was just a fundamentally understood fact that Society could not keep going if we were not willing to care for strangers. There, there wasn't mm. hotels. There wasn't Seven Eleven. There wasn't McDonald's. Um, yeah. If you were traveling, you would not have food or shelter. You had to rely on the kindness, just kind of human dignity that we all share of others, mm. or you would literally wow. die. <laughs> wow.
2: Um,
3: so that was a sacred, a sacred duty that we all held to each other. So my story, briefly, is I tell this in Fearing Bravely. My daughter and I were traveling, um, and a tornado came up out of nowhere. And I started frantically. Terrifying, yes, it was. Way. It was. I started frantically looking for houses that seemed like someone was home where we could quickly run in for shelter. Um, the storm passed. We were fine. We didn't need to do that. But I talked to my daughter later that I was doing that. She was appalled that I would have run into a stranger's house and seeking shelter. <laughs> and I said, you know, it, If it was a matter of life and death, if it was watch my daughter die or ring a stranger's doorbell, I know what I'm going to do. And I think most of us deep down believe that even a stranger would help us if we were on death's door. Right. And the thing is, is that so many of the refugees that are pleading to come into our communities, are on death's door and they are simply right. fellow humans, most of them children. And we deeply believe that we would be welcomed and provided for if, if we had no other way to be alive, that's so true. but that's the reality mm-hmm. for these refugees. Yeah, And it's on us now to welcome them.
1: Yeah. So good. Catherine later this week, we're actually joined by Matt Sorens who is really involved in, uh, Uh, World Relief and How Christians Can Care for Refugees, both practically, spiritually, and emotionally. So it'll be interesting to talk to him. That is on Thursday. Um, Catherine... One of the things that Brian, my regular co-host, does is he'll find something I put on Twitter and he'll just read it to me and make oh. me respond. Okay. And sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes I'm like, yes, that was a good tweet. I'm glad we're going to talk about that today. Um, so I found, uh, I decided to put you in that same spot, the hot seat. Wonderful. And found a question that you posted on Twitter. And I have to say, you can follow Katherine McNeil at Katherine McNeil. That's M-C-N-I-E-L. <laughs> and and uh, Catherine, you do a great job of posing questions like these on Twitter. So um, I'm going to read your tweet to you. Is that okay? Please do. Okay. What is one piece of advice or wisdom you wish you could pass on? So let's start with the question itself.
3: What made you decide to ask that one on Twitter? Well, you know, I think I'm always looking for ways to engage with people. And I love mm-hmm. listening on Twitter, actually. I think most people yeah. go to social media to to be loud, but I love to listen and hear what people are thinking. And it struck me that I think a lot of, you know, I've heard people say of pastors that every pastor has one sermon that they keep preaching over and over uh-huh. again. Um yeah. I think most of us are that way actually. Yes. That there's there is a lesson that we God just seems intent on us learning <laughs> and we have to keep <laughs> going to the same lesson over and over again. Um and what if we just what if we just shared each other's, you know, maybe yeah. we could learn from each other. But I do think that probably a lot of us have a piece of wisdom that we yeah. just keep getting thrown back onto, and I wanted to find out what those were for other people. So Okay, that's a great, that's it's a great question. Yeah. Now, do
1: you have a piece of advice or wisdom that you wish you could pass on?
3: Well, I have a, a kind of a party game answer to that question. <laughs> um, my dad, when I was a kid, would always say, never do well what you don't want to do again. <laughs> Which is great advice, but maybe not words to live by. (laughs) That is so funny. You know, every once in a while on the
1: show, Brian Fromm brings up really old television. One is uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. And I only know this through Brian, but apparently there's an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond where Ray Barone is telling his, I think it's his brother on the show, like, hey, if you don't want to do something around the house, do it poorly the the first time. So, like, you know, he doesn't do the dishes and he doesn't, whatever, because, you know, so that's kind of your dad's advice there. I I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) That's good party advice. Yeah. Well, you got some very interesting responses, Catherine. I thought we could unpack a little bit. Yeah. Um, I did. somebody, Somebody said to you, trust in Christ. But if we're ruling out advice related to God, don't let other people panic you. You can only
3: do what you can do. And I loved your response. You were like, I'm not ruling anything out. Great. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, there was there was a lot of things were kind of along those lines, you know, like Mm. don't kind of just quiet all the voices of pressure around you. Like Mm. be in the moment you're in, be there fully. Um, Enjoy the stage of the season that you're in. Or if it's a hard one, understand that it's It's life is in seasons, and and an easier one is coming. You know, don't panic. Yeah, don't feel a lot of pressure. Just be on the step or the season that you're on, and I—that is good advice. That is wisdom for living.
1: Yeah, that is that is really good. Um, Somebody else put. Um, I too. This is actually well. It's very Shakespearean, but it's also very American. To thine own self be true. Ah, God loves you just as you are, and you need to love yourself. The abundant life that Christ came to give you is Him living in you and making you the fullest version of you, not a clone of your pastor, parents, etc. Hmm. Um, I thought that one. I thought that one was really interesting because I think there's some truth in there, and then I think there's some um very like individualized uh independent americanness yes. in there. Yes. That I I sometimes I, I'm tending more and more to push back against like yes, god loves you just as you are and you need to love yourself. Yes, 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 and amen. And yes, I also believe that Jesus is making you the fullest version of you, but I think that that full version of you is your your Christ-like self. And so there's this piece, like the not the clone of your pastor parents, that's the part that feels extra American to me when Hmm. I do think sort of that discipleship piece or that communal piece actually is important. And sometimes we've gotten away from that as if we're like made alone and we're not made Hmm. in community. Um, this one was a funny one. Measure twice, cut once. Yes. That's true. <laughs>
3: that was that was on my list of ones to pass on. That yeah, is that, a good, important. Piece. That is
1: really good. Um, w- this one I thought was helpful too. And this goes into what you were kind of nodding to before. If you take one step forward, you can hang on that step until you're ready for the next. Don't let people yes. pressure you into taking
3: the next step all the time. That's a hard one. Yes, that is. Yes. And I think it goes back to what you were saying before, that we need to follow God's leading for our lives and the way God has formed us. You know, I should not try to be the best Aubrey I can be or yeah, the best Brian right. I can be. right? Um, right. <laughs> but as I'm being Catherine, I need mm-hmm. to, to use that for my community, for, yeah. for for others, not just for myself. Yeah, it's good. This one um, goes back to what you're saying about
1: seasons. This is probably the advice I would give or wisdom I would give. This is only temporary. What you're going through right now is not the end of your story. It may feel like a part of you died or things will never be the same, but it's only for a season. I think that's such good advice. You said seasons is so important to Helpful. That's so true.
3: Yes. Were there any others that stood out to you, Catherine? Yeah, there's a lot of just really good advice that I think we should all take every day. You know, read more Mm. books, drink more water. Um, Yeah. yeah. Don't sweat the small stuff. You know, enjoy your relationships. Don't get bogged down in Uh. in the school quabbling that we do um one that i really liked which i've heard before and i've actually tried to practice this is sometimes when you're saying i'm sorry what you really mean is thank you and so obviously Aubrey, like if i say something rude to you yeah what i need to say is i'm sorry not thank you but a lot of times uh Like, if you came to pick me up for lunch, but it took me a while, instead of saying, I'm sorry that I'm late, I could say, thank you so much for waiting. Mm.
4: Um,
3: And I think a lot of us, especially women, tend to just apologize for existing when I think (laughs) what we actually mean is, I appreciate you. Um, Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for being patient with me. Thank you for putting up with my faults or my quirks. And I, I do... I try to remind my kids to do this too, that sometimes when we're saying, I'm sorry, we're just kind of bleeding insecurity when what we really mm. mean is, I appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, that's, that is a great piece yeah, of advice. Right? I think so. Yeah, it's so good. So I, I'm kind of struck,
1: Catherine, with some of these things, Um, how we, we sort of know the way that we want to live. Hmm. Like we know we want to live with that type of posture, or we know we want to live like Knowing it's a season and without all of the external pressure. And yet, the discrepancy between the way we want to live and the way we actually live is so, so difficult. Yeah. Do you have any? I mean, we, we have like a minute left on <laughs> this massive life question. I wonder if some of what you write about in some of your books. Some spiritual disciplines of like silence. Yes. Sabbath is sort of the antidote to some of that. To begin to create space to go, oh wait, I want, I don't want to live with all the noise. I want to live in a different posture.
3: Yes. We talked about my third book a little bit today, Fearing Bravely, but my first two books, Long Days of Small Things and All Shall Be Well, are both about Just taking a minute to sort of wake up to where you are today, to just Mm. suddenly remember to pay attention. Mm. Um, and I, that makes such a difference for my life. And I do give a lot of specific examples about how to do that. But recently I've started, now that the weather is finally warm in Chicago, way too, way too warm. Actually, now it's going to be a hundred degrees today. uh, It's terrible today. Right. Um, but to walk outside in the morning and just say good morning to the day, um, Good morning to my the pain that I have in my back. Good morning yeah. to the beautiful flowers that are growing on my patio. Good morning mm. to the anxieties and worries that I have. Yeah. And just these tiny little steps that we can take that remind us we're here and God's here. That's so good.
1: Such a good word for us. Well thanks Catherine for letting us delve into your Twitter. <laughs> Um, Okay, and now that Brian's gone, we're going to talk about dealing with difficult people. But (laughs) Mm. I'm just kidding. Brian is not a difficult person. I love Brian. But on a serious note, we all have difficult people in our lives. We do. Yes. And we don't need to name those people. We might be those people, frankly, but uh, we all have difficult people. and. Over at churchleaders.com, Luke Garrity is writing about five ways to deal with these difficult people. So um, here's what we'll do, Catherine. I'll read you the first one and let's have a conversation about it. Okay. 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 So he says, I want to lay out five practical ways to demonstrate the fruit of the spirit when dealing with difficult people. He says the first one is, even though it is deeply personal... Don't take it personally. Yes. He says, I won't pretend like it really or it doesn't really bother me when someone tells our church's gifted music leader to disregard what I'm saying. It does. But I have learned not to get offended because I know that bitterness can distort my ability to interact with our music leader, but also distort the way I interact with others. Is it possible not to take these
3: things personally? It is possible, but Aubrey, it is so hard. But it's I, so hard! <laughs> I do think it is so important because difficult people are difficult. And it's not <laughs> right. about us. It's about them. And I think yeah. that when we get triggered and we make it about ourselves, because yeah. we do, then we become yes. difficult people ourselves. And, we, and then we end up fighting and it becomes a yes. problem. But if we can just if we can somehow take a step back have the calmness and the self-control yeah. to say that rude person is rude <laughs> rather than <laughs> that's not true about me <laughs> you know <laughs> we maybe we can keep the ship keep keep the ship upright <laughs> yeah it's so
1: true like and i think in order not to take it personally i know for me like if it's like fight flight or fawn yeah. i tend to do
3: any of those,
1: uh, depending on the situation. But it's like you need time to step away from that, like, instant reaction, the lizard brain reaction. And, like, yes, breathe, step away, go for a walk, sleep on it. I know Proverbs talks about, like, don't letting the sun go down on your anger. But sometimes I actually think you need to so that the next day you have a little more perspective. You know what right, I mean? Right. And, and then I think you cannot, these things won't be as personal. But if you respond in the moment... They just, it's, yeah, you become the difficult person. I think that's really good advice, Catherine. Okay, here's another one. Number two, take time to communicate to those who don't listen to communication. Oh, my. He says, if there's one thing that drives me ape nuts, it's wasting my time. I hate wasting my time doing things that are pointless. If there isn't a purpose or function in mine, I get frustrated. So you can imagine how I feel when it appears very obvious that I'm wasting my time talking to someone and they aren't. Listening. Oh. He goes on to say this is a this is a salty article. He goes on to say ape nuts is a polite way of saying that I want to punch someone. He scratched out someone and says <laughs> something. So basically he's talking about how it feels like a waste of time to communicate with people who aren't listening, but actually you need to be you need to over communicate. Mm. He says it's worth being cautious and patient. What are your thoughts on that one?
3: Oh, I I think I'm too triggered by this. To even if <laughs> um, this is probably the pet peeve for me, this is where it gets hard. I can, you know, blithely and spiritually say, "Don't be triggered" for that first point, but I'm I'm too triggered for the second one. <laughs> I really value good communication and efficiency, and so whenever. I have very clearly laid out instructions in an email or very carefully gone over the plan with someone and then (laughs) they do not do what they agreed to do. I have to take a step back.
1: <laughs> you know, Kevin will always tell me like, Aubrey, people don't read emails. People don't read text. People don't listen to messages. You just have to communicate and communicate and communicate and communicate. And I'm like, ah, but why? Although I am so guilty of not reading emails all the way through. Mm-hmm. So I, I get this, but okay. That's a, that's a good one. All right. <laughs> so none of these are easy. All right. No, here's no. number three. Okay. I think this one is really, really helpful. Assume there is much more going on than what you see. Okay, that one is good. Yeah. He says, yes, people are, quote, messed up. And yes, this is known as, quote, sin nature or original sin or total depravity or, quote, you've got baggage and you're spiritually broken. He says but people get more messed up as they interact with other messed up people. So we have a whole world of messed up people who are messing each other up and even the wh- and then the whole thing is a mess. <laughs> yes. This is funny. He says most people have no idea that they are the way they are. They are completely unaware wow. of how unteachable they've become. They aren't aware of that fact when they talk over you, they are actually talking over you. So this is interesting. Assume that there's a lot going on with difficult people. Does that give you compassion for them
3: or does that make you want to give up? Like, what do you think the oh, result no. of that is? I think, actually, I think this one's a very important practice. I feel like he's saying two things here. Actually, I want this to be number three and 3B, Mm -hmm. but uh, something that I try to teach myself and teach my kids is that, you know, when when I'm driving and then somebody flips me off or Mm -hmm. does something rude or someone at the grocery store, you know, some people are just gratuitously rude. and. Yeah. uh, I always try to think to myself, wow, what kind of a day are they having or what kind of a year are they having or what kind of relationship are they feeling stuck in or what kind Mm. of trauma were they raised in or to cause them to just be to have so much rudeness just pouring out of them. They must be hurting. They must be hurting a lot, Um, which does sort of I think give us more resources to respond. I think when so. When we can see gratuitous rudeness as yeah. again, going back to that first point, not about us, but about them mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and realizing, man, something's going on with you today. I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna pray for you. Is there any way I can help? You know, that's that's yeah. that's different. I think that is you're right, that's so good. Because
1: I know for me I get to the point of like I can, I can go so far with difficult people, engage again, again, and again, and then at some point I hit my breaking point, and sometimes that's years. But I'm like, you know what? I'm done. Yes. I can't take this yes. anymore. And so I think to be able to to go back to the resource of like this person has a story. Doesn't mean you have to be their best friend, but this is helpful in like that endurance when it comes to engagement. Yes. All right, let's read the the last two. Okay. Uh pray for wisdom, guidance and breakthrough. That should probably okay. have been number one. Maybe. <laughs> and then five, don't be guilty of what you find problematic Hmm. that one is that one's interesting so if this kind of goes back to something you had said before like don't become the difficult person yeah yeah. he says if you're complaining about people not listening to you you better make sure that you aren't guilty of the very same issue so do you want to take one of those Catherine prayer for wisdom guidance and breakthrough or don't be guilty of what you find problematic
3: do any of those
1: stand out to you
3: oh 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 yeah, you know, okay, this is kind of a random thing to say, but do you know what I think is super helpful in this area is Sesame Street? Um, I love <laughs> how those Sesame Street characters think about Oscar the Grouch, you know, yeah. and Bert and Ernie, like they all have, and Big Bird, super anxious, you know, like everyone is a super difficult person on Sesame Street, and That's yet so true. they all find a way to get together. And, and and nobody's really offended by Oscar. They know who he is. And nobody right. gets too worried about Big Bird. They know how Big Bird is. Um, I think if we could all be a little bit more like Sesame Street and just be like, you know what? My so neighbor good. is kind of crazy, but he belongs <laughs> to me. We're together. We all get it. We're all together
1: in this community. I yeah. love that. Sesame Street has so much wisdom for life.
3: All right. Well, that uh,
1: those are five ways you can deal with difficult people in your life. I think we summed it all up by saying just watch Sesame Street That's and right. learn from that. Coming words next, to live Catherine, by. Yeah, words to live by. Uh, well, Catherine, I was uh, one of Brian's actually favorite... Uh, shows to watch is the today show
4: and so
1: in brian's honor i decided to take a little bit of time at the today show and try to find something that he might find enjoyable while he's gone a little nod to him and actually i watched this video that I, i i'm gonna play some of the audio from for you but it is the story of a former kkk building in fort worth texas that is now being transformed into a space of healing really really powerful wow. let's take a listen
2: these okay. crumbling walls hold a dark terrifying history what happened in this space
4: there were initiations here there were meetings here there were performances here
2: all for the plan
4: all for the Klan.
2: The Ku Klux Klan. In 1924, one of America's biggest Klan chapters was right here in Fort Worth, Texas. This three story brick building was their home, built to hold many of their 7,000 members.
4: They paraded in downtown Fort Worth in full regalia. They even dressed up their horses.
2: And they practice all of that right here,
4: right here in this building.
2: It is the only such clan building still standing today. Built complete with an auditorium, a performance stage, and a very clear message.
4: This building was put here so that everyone would know who's in charge.
2: People had to pass by this building almost
4: every day. This is Main Street, so this was the main thoroughfare through which people moved. The architecture of the building is specific. It connotes power and intimidation watch your step
2: but now that power lies in new hands adam mckinney runs tarrant county coalition for peace and justice part of a group that acquired this building they're using a three million dollar federal grant to give it new life a performing arts center offices and living space a farmer's market but most importantly, a community center, catering to people of color, members of the LGBTQ community, the very people this place was built to exclude. So I'm really looking forward to opening these doors. Sharon Herrera runs LGBTQ Saves, a youth safe space, one of eight groups to be housed inside. They're going to have a place that they can freely walk into and be themselves and not have to worry about being hurt or ridiculed or made fun of, that they're going to be fully accepted and loved. Why not just demolish the building? Why keep it standing?
4: I feel like it would be a missed opportunity. The goal with our project is to never forget what happened here. The importance is to share the history as widely as possible.
1: Okay, so I, I mean Catherine, there is something to me that's so biblical and even hmm. um even just healthy. I guess mm-hmm. uh, in like trauma redemptive. work, redemptive, mm-hmm. yes, transforming a uh, literally transformative about yes. transforming a space that was used. I mean, death, lynching, hate, violence, wow. beyond wow. measure to now a space of healing for those who were previous targets. And I, I don't know, like, I think there's an impulse that we might want to take a space like that and just burn it to the ground. And I think mm-hmm. that would be okay too. Um, And yet, to see it being repurposed towards healing is so beautiful, don't you think?
3: Oh, my goodness. Yes, it's inspiring. It is redemptive. It is transformative, Mm -hmm. like you're saying. And it strikes me as such a symbol for what God does. God takes the broken, the chaotic, and turns it into something useful Mm -hmm. and beautiful and good. And I just, as I was listening to that, I kept thinking of the Bible verse where it talks about in God's kingdom the swords are beaten down mm. into plowshares. And so obviously this is a building, yeah. not a sword, yeah. but it's taking something that was violent and turning it into something that is life-giving. Yeah,
1: I, It is really, really powerful. I, something that Brian and I were talking about maybe two weeks ago, Catherine, was there's some conversation in uh, Uvalde, Texas about tearing down the school mm. and rebuilding oh, wow. an entirely new building simply so it doesn't... Um, just doesn't even have the same look, so wow. that the kids returning, the parents returning, the faculty and staff returning, are walking. It, yes, is on the same ground where like such horrific evil took place, but just to create a um, a totally different look some experts are saying that actually helps uh, with healing from trauma and allows okay. people to revisit a space where they may have experienced a lot of trauma. Wow. I feel like this is a similar concept, obviously in a different context, but um, taking something that did cause evil and dis- a place that did cause so much trauma historically, hmm. and then um, even even I think the appearance, like the purpose has changed, but the appearance, of course, will change, And even that might allow some of its victims or the ancestors of victims to step into that space in a new way. I I just, I don't know. I think it's a really, really meaningful when it comes to restorative, redemptive, like repair, don't you think?
3: Yeah. Yes. And I wonder if it goes back to what we were talking about in the previous hour about our stories and our narratives about our history. Wow. Um, Yeah. If, if we can take these locations of tragedy and evil and hatred that either maybe we perpetrated or maybe we were victims Mm -hmm. there, or maybe it was our neighbors who are the perpetrators or our ancestors Mm -hmm. or our ancestors who were the victims or the survivors. If we can transform those spaces, not obliterating them so that we don't have to think about it anymore, in which case we're not really considering how these patterns or these traumas are moving forward into our present and future. But taking it and making it into something redemptive and transformative, so that we too can be healed mm-hmm. and transformed, uh, that is that strikes me as the kind of healing that we need. I think so too, and I think like something that you just touched on is that it also
1: um, it also allows a, a way to say like pain happened here. Like we're no mm-hmm. longer in denial that like I mean, especially thinking about clan meetings right we're not Mm -hmm, pretending mm -hmm. like that didn't happen you're saying by restoring it into something new you're saying oh no 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 like this was real this was evil we're going to do something different instead and I think in one sense our tendency is to either ignore or silence or pretend that evil in our past didn't happen and I mean that both personally and communally Uh, historically like nationally we've done that And so in one sense, this work to restore even just like a physical building names something that was true as evil. And I think when you can name things rightly, then you can begin healing from them. Yes, absolutely. so I appreciate that it's like, no, 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 we're doing this. We're not just knocking the space down and starting something. We're like intentionally transforming this place of pain to a place of purpose and renewal and redemption. Mm. Really, really, really powerful. And something you said, Catherine... (laughs) that strikes you and strikes me as like what God does in our lives. Yes, yes.
3: Can you unpack that a little that's, bit? Well, that's that's God work. Yeah. That is what God is in the business of doing. That's yeah. his signature move, is yeah. taking something that is broken and turning it into something that is remade. Mm. And, you know, even way back in, not to turn into like a pastor here, but way back in Genesis, Past that's death, what Catherine. that story is talking about. Yeah. It's saying that God took... God, spirit hovering over the waters. It was chaos. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so much nothingness as it was chaos yeah. that was formed into something useful and beautiful yeah. and good. It was formed into function. And all throughout the Bible, we see God taking something broken and saying, I'm going to make, give you a new heart yeah. or give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stones. Yeah. So always renewing, remaking, rebuilding, and then we believe that at the end, just like at the beginning, God is going to create a new, new heavens and That's new right. earth, a new world that is redeemed, right. transformed, not out of nothing, but out of brokenness. Mm. Oh, so good!
1: I feel like all the pastors who are listening need to use this uh, story in their sermon this Sunday. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> done, done. All your work is done. Take the day off. <laughs> it is the end of today's show. At the end of the show, we'd love to bring you something inspiring or challenging or something just to put a smile on your face. Catherine and I have covered some hard stories today, and so we we wanted to leave you with some good stories. Uh, This week, all the news wasn't bad. There's some good news. We like to go to a place called The Week where they put together good news each and every week, and some of these stories are just so sweet and so delightful. They will absolutely put a smile on your face. So Catherine, you want to read the first one for us?
3: I do. And this good news starts out sounding like bad news. Aubrey, have you filled up your car with gas oh, recently? I don't even want to because talk about it. It's it horrible. It is expensive. It's uh, Last weekend, I had to put gas. I had to fill up both my car and my uh, husband's car. They just both uh, happened to run out uh, while I was driving them. And I, they were each... $100. Yeah, then you can't
1: buy groceries for your children. Like, so it's like, so terrible. In the morning,
3: I spent $100 on gas, and then in the afternoon, I spent $100 <laughs> on gas. But here's the good news. Okay, let's okay. hear it. Let's hear it. Um, A gas station owner in Phoenix, Mr. Singh, gave his customers a break oh. by selling his gas at a loss. Come on. Um. People were so excited to come to his gas station for this lower price that he sold a thousand gallons Whoa. of gas every day, which created a big loss for him because wow. he was taking forty seven cent hits wow. for every gallon. Wow. But he decided to do it because mm-hmm. what was important to him is giving some relief <sighs> to his customers. Cry. He said that his mother and father have taught him to be a helper, wow. that if you have something, you have to share it. And, uh, his customers felt that he was making a true impact mm. on their life. And, Um, I think he's probably gotten some loyal customers. I was just thinking that and his business will be better long run because of that. That is wow. What a, what but what an amazing person, but that costs him a lot of money. Like we're talking thousands of dollars. (laughs) That is
1: self sacrificial right there.
3: Yes. Wow. That is so
1: incredible. I love that story. Um, Okay. How about you? All right. Here's another one. A teen surprises school, school custodians with thank you gifts from all of his classmates. They spent the year keeping the floors shiny, the desks clean, and the trash cans empty. And before classes were out from the summer, Caleb Kelly Jones wanted the custodians at his Kansas high school to know how much their hard work was appreciated. The 18-year-old bought a card for each custodian and had all of his fellow students, as well as the teachers and administrators at Atchison High School, sign them. With the help of his family, he also baked cookies and delivered the cards and homemade treats to the custodians. They do a lot for us at the school, Kelly Jones told USA Today. I don't know if they're ever acknowledged for it. The custodians were stunned by his precious or by his gesture, one calling the teenager precious. That is so, Aww. how many
3: teenagers are that thoughtful? I love that. That is really cool. Yeah. That is a good story. It's so good to be seen. Yes, that's it. That's it. All right, Catherine, do you have another one for All right. us? I do. So this is about a high school senior who was injured in a car crash, but she achieved her goal of walking at graduation. Yes. um, This young lady, I believe, has a senior quote. She's from Myers, Florida, and her quote of choice is, it's almost impossible to get it done until it's done. So if you put your mind to it and work for it, you will do it. Um, She was hit by a drunk driver and suffered traumatic brain injury. So instead of being able to go to class, she had to spend the last several months at physical therapy where she's been learning how to walk Mm -hmm. again. Carter missed out on the typical end of year activities for seniors, but she vowed to attend graduation. She made it her goal to walk across the stage unassisted to receive her diploma. And on May 21st, she did exactly that Carter's mother Ms. Cook told the news that since the accident, she's been sad and upset, but there have been other emotions, like, wow, this girl has the strength to move on. We need to look up to her.
1: Unbelievable. Whew. Man, those stories are so inspiring because I, I mean, okay, it's not about me, but if it were me, I would just lay in bed. Like, I think I would just give up. But the fact that she's like, no, I will walk across the stage at my graduation and and doing yes. it is so powerful
3: yes all right both of my stories have had a tinge of bad yeah they kind the of news, so i hope you have just a great one <laughs> okay, for us i'm
1: like really happy i get to share this story because i feel like this is the the best story of all time in all of history are you ready okay for it? I, i'm <laughs> so okay. ready a 104 year old woman's wish comes true when she gets to hold A penguin.
3: It finally happened.
1: Bertha Comer's lifelong dream of holding a penguin came true. The 104-year-old Farmington, Connecticut resident was able to meet with Mr. Red Green of the Mystic Aquarium earlier this month. The Aquarium and Twilight Wish Connecticut, an organization that grants wishes for senior citizens, made the surprise visit happen, bringing Mr. Red Green to Comer's retirement community. I didn't expect this, she told the local news there. Best part was petting him and seeing him up close. She laughed and smiled as Mr. Red Green curled up on her lap, content with the attention he was receiving. Comer's granddaughter, Karen Rivkin, was there to witness this magic moment. I am just so excited for her and just so happy that she was able to have this wish come true and just to have been in our life for as
3: long as she has. Isn't that so That is amazing. That is... I feel wow. like I want to hold a penguin. 104-year-old woman and a penguin. I want to hold a penguin.
1: <laughs> one, but I want to see a 104-year-old woman hold a penguin and, like, be happy about it. That is so beautiful. I love that story. That is terrific. All right, Catherine, okay, do you want to read one. the last
3: one for us? Yep. Swimmer and conservationist strives to protect the planet while breaking Ooh. records. It's almost hard to know what that even means, okay? But last month, Merle LeVand put on her monofin and set off not only to break a swimming record, but also bring attention to the problem of plastic pollution oh, wow. in the oceans. Cool. So again, my story has some bad news to it. <laughs> but on May 7th, the Florida resident broke the record for the longest swim while wearing a monofin. She swam 26.22 miles off the coast of Miami, finishing in a 11 hours and 54 minutes, according to the Guinness World Records. She says, swimming with the monofin without using my arms is similar to how dolphins and marine animals swim. They have a fin and can't use any arms. During her swim, LaVand picked up trash that she found in the water and placed it in a kayak that was following her. Part of her swimming mission is to get more people to understand the problem of marine pollution and take action. She says, at the end of the day, this isn't just about a record. It's about helping the community and the world. We need to make sure that we're all healthy. Mm. Healthy humans means a healthy planet. Wow. Way to go, Merle Levan! That is amazing. Aubrey, you need to get her on this radio show because this sounds like she is in favor of the common good. She is
1: working for the common good. We
3: should have her on the show. All right. Well,
1: those are some of the good stories of the week. It wasn't all bad. There's some good news for you. And thanks so much for joining us today. Catherine and I will actually be back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Katherine McNeil. I can't wait. I, know, I can't wait. Can't wait to have you, Katherine. For Katherine McNeil, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.